What's going on, everybody? This is KJ Kearney. I am one half of the Fix Your Plate podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine Network. I am joined, as always, by Washington, D.C.'s finest, Anella Malik of Feed the Malik. You can follow her on all social medias at Feed the Malik. Follow me at all social media at Black Food Fridays and make sure you review us. Give us all the praise and love. Otherwise, you probably hate it. Today is another not hot take episode. And there's something that's been on my mind that has really nothing to do with food, but it kind of does. I think I can tie this in. We're going to try it out. So I played college sports. Um, well, I played sports my whole life, but I played college football as well. And recently, as as we record this, the NCAA, which is the big governing body that kind of oversees all of collegiate sports in America, uh, they were sued into oblivion, at least into the point of paying student athletes. And that law went, uh, well, their their policy on allowing athletes to make money off their name image and likeness is now live and we've already seen you know from twin volleyball players at fresno fresno state to the quarterback at university of wisconsin people are already starting to cash in and how i think this ties in with food is on i'm I'm gonna speak from the hbcu side okay i went to a small school called south carolina state university home of the mighty bulldogs and the marching 101 and in Orange, South, Orangeburg, South Carolina, we are the big deal. That school is the economic engine of that town. And there are a lot of college towns, both PWI and HBCU, that are the same thing, that if that school wasn't there, uh, the town would look drastically different. I think this is an opportunity for some of these Black-owned businesses with entrepreneur or, or enterprising leadership at the top of their game to to really capitalize on this wave of blackness that everyone seems to be jumping on. You know, we talked about the June boom. We've talked about how a lot of companies have gotten on board with Black Lives Matter and, you know, Trans Lives Matter and all, all the lives mattering, right? But now is the time to put your money where your mouth is. And I think that Black-owned restaurants in specific are in a great position to capitalize off this. They might not be able to offer a whole lot of money. But let me tell you something. KJ Kearney at South Carolina State was not going to be offered $20,000 for a sneaker anyway, right? I, I probably was going the best the best I was going to get is $500, maybe a free pair of sneakers and $500 and a free meal. I think there's an opportunity for some of these restaurants, especially like I'm thinking of Slutty Vegan in Atlanta. Right? Pinky Cole is already a master marketer. Now, she can reach out to her alma mater Clark Atlanta University, which is an HBCU, Morehouse University, Spelman, they're all next to each other. Imagine an athlete or a multiple athletes being sponsored by someone like Pinky Cole. She gets the benefit of helping HBCU students out. Those student athletes who are not going to see this big money that is going to go to a Clemson or an athlete at Notre Dame or an athlete at Stanford or Georgetown, they can still get a bag too. I don't know, Nanella. This is I don't know if I did a good job of tying this in, but I, I hope I did. You'll tell me the truth if I didn't know. I mean, at first I was like, where is he going with this? But um, especially I think Slutty Vegan is a great example, right? We we I think me and you in particular 
when we're dealing with the food space, we recognize the full spectrum of Black food businesses. And that means everything from the food cart to the person selling plates out of their house, but also to these well-established, well-recognized businesses that you're right, they do a great job with marketing. They have, you know, really engaged, almost cult-like following. And I don't see why they couldn't engage in that space. Is there a restaurant in particular? Because I got like two or three. I said Slutty Vegan. I think Mikey's, Mikey likes it, ice cream in New York City. You know, I could see them being a brand that would dip their toe in this name, image, and likeness situation that we're in. Uh, what about D.C.? I mean, you got Howard University right there. You got Morgan State not too far from there. You got Bowie State. I mean, Maryland Eastern Shore. There's a Norfolk State's not that far away. Like there, Hampton, there's a bunch of black colleges in that DMV area. Can you see any restaurants? I mean, not that you have any authority on this. Let's, let's put that out there. Anella's not saying she knows about deals that are coming down the pipeline, but you know, what are some restaurants that you could see leveraging, you know, the popularity of HBCUs, in particular HBCU athletes, to to make a wave? So I mean, I, yeah, I know nothing about this topic, but I would see restaurants like Ben's Chili Bowl because every time, I swear, every time that there's something community oriented, especially that has to do with the black community, Ben's Chili Bowl is there. Um, and I think that, you know, that they have a legacy and that would be like, I think a natural partnership, but who knows? DC has a lot of also, um, I would say newer black owned restaurants that are really heavy, heavily leveraging marketing. And you can tell by the way they utilize social media that they're marketing towards millennials. Um, and so that would make sense as well if that's their target market, right? To then tap into this HBCU network. I can see that being a thing. Can I just say that I think this is an opportunity for you to get a bag? <laughs> I don't have time or energy to try to get any other bags right now. I know, but like, I know, I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying like, you are really good at social media, right? Like you're really good at the process of social media, not just social media. You understand the process of social media. I think from a consulting standpoint, I can see universities, HBCU, PWI or otherwise signing a contract with you to teach their student athletes how to best leverage social media. I could see you connecting dots because you've gotten more deals than I have. And I could see you leveraging the connections and relationships that you already have and pairing it with these student athletes that you may have a relationship with. If the school is smart and signs a Nella Malik to a contract, you know, to help these things, there are going to be new industries cropping up from this. And with you being in Washington, DC for the time being, that's what I mean by I see a bag. I don't necessarily mean like, you know, you doing anything. You're already doing this. You're already teach classes. Like you're already doing this. I can't. You're aren't you a Georgetown alum? Like why wouldn't you be able to go to Georgetown to be like, look at what I've done. I could do this for the women's volleyball team. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> except I'm like, I'm like Georgetown. Leave me alone. I loved my time there, but. <laughs> I had some serious issues with Georgetown, which I think everyone feels that way about their university. But I Except spent me. way too much money. I spent way too much money. And I still, when I see our, my husband went there as well. When I see our student loan balance, I'm like, 
that was probably a dumb decision. We met there. So that was the good thing that came out of it. But I'm like, I'd be fine if I never went back to Georgetown ever again. Maybe they'll take off some of the loan, <laughs> bro. Like, dude, like you come through, teach some classes to the swimming team, to the golf team. And they'll be like, hey, we'll take care of this loan for you, dog. Well, so I think, KJ, what you bring up here to to pull us back beyond, you know, this change in, in NCAA rules is that you're identifying a potential emerging market. And that is what something that I teach people when they want to learn about social media, whether it's for themselves or for their business, is that, you know, we, we're in a constantly changing environment and especially the media environment is constantly changing. And so if you recognize that there's either a gap in the market or that the situation on the ground, culturally, legally, politically, is changing in such a way that might affect you know, your particular media environment, that's something you need to pay attention to. And I say this to food, food bloggers all the time who wanna grow their platforms. And sometimes I think they don't hear me or they just don't wanna hear me. I say it to restaurant owners. <laughs> I say it to chefs who are like, I need to be better at social media. And I'm like, you have to pay attention to not where it is now, but how it's changing. Um, that's, that's, my, that's my not hot take is that if you really want to, uh, to leverage the, the media environment, yes, you have to be aware of what's happening now, but you really have to be cognizant of what's changing around you. So with that being said, I think this is a great way to fully pivot away from the NCAA topic. And let's spend the next, you know, the rest of our episode, you giving out some some gems. I mean, you put me on stuff all the time. So thank God for Nella Malik, y'all. But what are some things in the social media market, in the landscape of social media that we should be paying attention to? So I... There's a couple things here. Um, in general, Instagram is changing a lot of things to try to basically better its relationship with creators. It wants to pay creators. It has all of these incentive programs it's rolled out. And that is because, and they have said this in statements, Adam Masseri of Instagram has said this, that they view it as a change in our power structure from institutions. And that power is being shifted towards individuals, which is why they want to cultivate these ongoing relationships with creators. They want to make sure they're paying them so they can keep them on the platform, et cetera. And I would say that that's probably a decent assessment of what's happening in our broader media environment. We see the change from these legacy media organizations and verticals to people making six figures a year on Substack writing for themselves, right? Not everyone is going to have that mega success on Substack or with a newsletter or with a Patreon, but we are seeing individuals who may be in a previous environment, um, maybe they didn't like working at a newspaper or maybe they felt stifled at their PR agency, you know, or just maybe they were ready for something new. These people are going out on their own and I do see that trend continuing. Um, so that's one big thing that I'm kind of watching. And I think that me and you are a part of that, right? We're bloggers. We've, we have managed to do the things that we've done with phones and laptops and that's it. Um, with no guidance other than the guidance that we give each other and what we can Google and watch on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's so real, man. And, 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 you know, to that point, Anella, the, the newspaper in my hometown, which is one of the oldest in America is called the Post and Courier. Our food critic is a James Beard award-winning food critic. 
and she's leaving the Post and Courier to start her own Substack. Well, actually, she had started it. She like announced she was leaving, and then was like, "Hey, y'all, here's my Substack." So, not only do I know you're telling the truth, I've seen it happen as recently as this week. Hannah Raskins has a James Beard Award for her restaurant criticism and writing. And she's even like, yeah, I think I'm going to try this on my own. Well, that, that, that was so key. That was so on time. So that's one trend. The other one that I think everyone in the digital media space is trying to avoid because it makes many people uncomfortable and I understand why is the move to video. And I will say this as someone who 10 months ago had only ever made like three videos in her life um, that I had to like edit and make pretty, right? I had suddenly had to do it all myself and I, I recognized this change and I was like, I'm going to learn how to do it. And it's a year later and I will say that I am extremely proud of what I've been able to do. And it's just taken 10 months of being willing to fail publicly, being willing to make videos that aren't great, to share them and keep making them. And the reason I did that was because I recognized that with the rise of TikTok and just what engagement rates on every social media platform tell us, they tell us that video outperforms every other type of content. Why is that important? Well, whether you're a restaurant whether you are doing marketing for a legacy newspaper or you're an influencer or a blogger, or I now, you know, I'm getting questions from people who do social media for NGOs and they're like, our work matters, but we need to keep up in the digital space. And we're not super attuned to that. And on every platform, video outperforms other types of content, which means it's what people want to see. And if you are concerned with making sure your work is seen by as many people as possible, you have to learn how to do video. Adam Masseri of Instagram said in a video that he posted on his Instagram, and right, he speaks as the official Instagram voice. He said, Instagram is no longer a photo sharing platform. Every company that I've worked with is now looking at also booking talent on TikTok as well as on Instagram. Um, Twitter has even made changes in recent months that lead me to believe they are looking into ways to better leverage video. All of those things are important if your work at all is concerned with the digital space. Now that's super key. Um, in my deal with Pepsi, with by the time this airs will already be wrapped up so I can talk about it a little bit. That was definitely something that we discussed in the contract negotiations was having a video component. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Anyone who's listening. And I know there are people who are listening who are like, Ugh, I don't want to get in front of the camera. You know, that's not my ministry, so to speak. Uh, I get it, but either a get over it or B find creative ways where you can still do video without having to feature yourself in the entire video. In fact, we got a guru on, on the podcast right now. Her name is Anella Malik. Anella Malik, what are some ways now that, you know, you have illustrated very plainly why video is the wave. What are some ways people can utilize video if they're not comfortable just having the camera to their face? Well, you don't have to be in the videos, <laughs> right? You can, you can film your environment, you can film your product, you can film anything. You can make little stop motion graphics, which are like video, but are really just a bunch of photos strung together. Um, you can 
use apps to make animated backgrounds for your photos. There's all sorts of ways that you can kind of put this together to make it more dynamic. Um, but for people who are not comfortable with video and are like, I've seen this a lot on Twitter in the last couple of days, actually, because Adam Misery's comments from Instagram made it onto Twitter and people were like, I hate it here. You know, like, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want it to be TikTok everywhere. Um, and I will say, I don't want it to be TikTok everywhere either. But just because you're making video doesn't mean you have to make TikTok style videos. You can make whatever video works for you that, um, that demonstrates your personality, that gives people a sense of the human behind the content. And you know, for all that, I've seen a lot of OG bloggers in the last few days hate on TikTok. One thing that I love about TikTok and the rise of it is that those videos aren't super polished. They're not high def, high resolution, like pretty, you know, super scripted. The, the stuff that does best on TikTok is the stuff that shows who you are. And if that is something that is now being translated to other platforms because of TikTok's rise as competition, then I'm all for it. And so think about that when you're making video. Think about just representing who you are. And I think that's why we like video as consumers. We can say that we hate it, but you know, engagement rates on every platform tell us we actually don't hate it. And I think it's because when you see a video with a human, it's so much more human as opposed to a still photo. Yeah. It's so much more with their smile and their laughter and their emotion. Yeah. And, you know, you can see some of their quirks, whereas just photos don't show as much personality. So keep that in mind when you're trying to make video. Yeah. And you know what? That's one of the things that sold me on getting on TikTok in the first place. You you illustrated to me that I don't have to have movie quality videos on TikTok. In fact, the videos that don't look like that tend to do the best on TikTok. And with the rise of TikTok and then young Adam on Instagram, seeing what TikTok got going on is like, yo, let me get some of that. You know, you what what you're saying, I think, is very true. And that's the one thing I want people to listen to is it may be scary for you if you're not comfortable doing video, whether you're in front of it or creating it or whatever. But we're not asking you to create avatar every single time you make a video, bro. Like you don't have a green screen. That's perfectly fine. You don't know about motion blur. That's awesome. Like. Think of all the videos that you've seen in your life that have gone viral. And I guarantee you 90% of them were taken at the spur of the moment. It's the emotion of the video. It's what's happening in the video that makes it go viral versus its production. But I mean, am I wrong about that? No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I also think that for all that we complain about the changes and they are overwhelming and a lot of the changes are more time intensive that that is a creator i kind of resent that every time there's a change in the direction of these platforms it's like to keep up you have to invest more time um but i would say that even just getting on tiktok and playing around the payoff can be phenomenal right you can grow faster on there than you've ever grown on any other platform that you would ever see it's getting harder every day though so the longer you wait and the more saturated it gets the more users there are the more uh you know, you're going to have to work for it. So if you just start today, what's the worst that can happen? Look at that. We were able to tie in what I wanted to talk about, which was NCAA name, image, and likeness 
and actually provide benefit for the majority of the people who listen to this who probably don't even give a care about any of this name, image, and likeness stuff. That's the beauty of working with Anel of Elite. We always seem to land on our feet. I don't know if it's because you have cats and you have, you know, subconsciously learned how to always land on your feet because you see them do it, but we stuck the landing. I would say that I am very adaptable. That is one of my key traits. But as usual, we are so happy that you joined us for another episode of the Fix Your Play podcast on the Eat, Drink, and Dine Network. Find me online under the username Feed the Malik. Find KJ at Black Food Fridays. Most of all, do us a favor. Send your favorite episode of this podcast to one friend. And if you have not, write us a review and leave us a rating. It helps a lot. We have some incredible episodes coming for you. And we just want to make sure that as many people as possible can hear them. So thank you. And we'll see you next week.